Welcome. I'm Gretchen Keith-Steidel, and this is Synergo's Cultivate the Soul podcast, stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this 10-part series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practice, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view our full episode list, please visit synergos.org slash podcast. My name is Jeff Walker. I'm chairman of New Profit, and I cultivate my soul by taking deep breaths and sitting in a quiet place. Today, we're joined by Jeffrey Walker, chairman of New Profit Inc., a social change investment fund, and vice chair in the United Nations Envoy's Office focused on frontline health. Now, Jeff has been embedded for decades in the sector where contemplative practice meets social change. In addition to serving on multiple boards of nonprofit and for-profit companies, Jeff's also a partner in Bridge Builders Collaborative, an investment fund specifically targeting contemplation and mind training. Jeff also co-authored the book, The Generosity Network, about new approaches to generating resources for mission-based causes. For 25 years, Jeff was CEO and co-founder of CCMP Capital, the $12 billion global private equity successor to J.P. Morgan Partners. Jeff is a true systems entrepreneur working across sectors and partnerships to advance contemplative practice and its influence on social change. His full bio is available on our podcast website. What I love about this conversation with Jeff is how he is delivering on his personal mission of ending suffering and cultivating joy. Jeff will share why it is we can only do systemic change effectively by working on ourselves and working with each other. So welcome, Jeff. Thank you. I am excited for this conversation because you have been on a long-term journey of contemplative practice and social change. And so I want to start with, share with us a story from your childhood that can help us understand your earliest exposure to religion or inner awareness or a sense of spirituality and how it shaped you. Thanks for having me, Gretchen. Thinking about my youth, I guess I was always a searcher. I was born into a family uh, of Southern, um, born in Tennessee. There was Southern Baptist. And I wasn't baptized, and so because uh, they usually baptize you when you're 12 years old, so uh, that hmm. uh, had an impact on my on me actually. And by the time I was um, five, six, my mother and father had decided to become Methodists, and then a couple of years later, we're Presbyterian, so they were shopping a little bit. And I experienced Sunday school and ask was asking weird questions like, you know, how did the universe begin and <laughs> what it's God and all that. And I thought that the ministers, you know, were great, but they didn't really answer the questions that I, I really wanted answered. So um, I kept asking and searching and through high school, um, didn't go to church a lot, but, you know, was very curious and reading, reading books. By the time I got to college, the University of Virginia, I was reading Carlos Castaneda. I was a Unitarian. 
I was writing my first paper and speech on Kirlian photography, which is the study of energy around uh, the hands. Uh, I was a psych minor. I was a business major and discovered meditation. So, uh, you know, that was in 1973. So I was continuing to ask, you know, what's going on with the world? And um, so I guess my early childhood kind of set me up to continue to look around and explore. And, you know, I think I ended up uh, Buddhist probably 20, 25 years ago. But, you know, I evolved over time and took a course by Joseph Campbell when I was um, out of business school. And, and uh, it was great hearing about, uh, you know, comparative religion. And I kept asking the questions. I guess I still am. <laughs> so I continued on from there. Where, where did you discover meditation? I was uh, reading about astral projection in wow. uh, my freshman year at University of Virginia. And one evening, I was sitting in the Dell, which is near the Edge School, put my legs folded and it was quiet. And I had learned about whole body relaxation because that was the, how astral projection happens, supposedly, <laughs> and discovered I was meditating and thought this was an interesting thing to do and practice. And I kept asking more questions um, since, you know, about different types and styles of meditation. But that was the first place. And strangely enough, you know, I, I chair the Contemplative Science Center at UVA, which we'll talk about later. But we're building a building, it's Contemplative Commons, and guess where it's being built? Same place. Exactly the same place. <laughs> And I had no input into it. Literally, they walk up and go, this is where we're going to put it. I go, you got to be kidding That me. is amazing. Now, did you did you feel something on that very first experience with meditation? Um, I know. Yeah, for- it, was, it was quiet. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, for many people, it's a frustrating experience the first time they try. I, I've had, you know, we have these things called Jeffersonian dinners and we have, you know, single topic conversations and. One of the questions that we did do, and Sharon Salzberg was there at the time, and a friend of mine, Jay Cologne, a bunch of others, is when was the first time you meditated? And every single person had a very, very specific memory of that. Mm-hmm. You know, they could describe the place and the time and the feeling. And, you know, why is that? And I can remember it, you know, very literally. And I don't remember all my meditations. I mean, come on. But, you know, <laughs> the first one. You know, something it's kind of like, wait, when it, something's, something's going on here. And yeah, your mind goes all over the place and you have monkey mind and you, you know, you're not, you're not doing it perfectly at all <laughs> and uh, we keep working at it. But there, you know, there's a kernel of something there. Right. 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 Absolutely. So I'm wondering as you began that process, I mean, it sounds like you've been asking these questions since you were very, very young, but as you decided to really invest in your own spiritual practice journey what what do you think was the root of that what was catalyzing that exploration sometimes my wife says you know why can't you just be okay with where the world is and (laughs) and, you know i'm kind of like you know it's it's like the shark in the ocean i have to continue to swim you know just i have to so i've always been searching and asking and and thinking and about you know my place in it um i read a book when i was 13 years old called childhood's end by uh, arthur c Clarke, and mm-hmm. uh, it changed my life reading it um it's about you know long story short you know aliens come to earth and protect the earth until it's ready to leave 
mm-hmm. until you're ready as your soul to leave. And it's a very Buddhist thought. Um, but, you know, work on yourself and work on, on the planet. And that everything in the planet is connected. And it's a simple statement. But, you know, how do you live that so that you believe that each soul is you in a different form? Mm-hmm. And if, you're, if that is the case, you're, you're really, you know, working on yourself and you're working with others. But, you know, you're drops in the larger ocean and you're all there to, to live and survive together. And so to me, that's the joy. Um, it's a musical experience. I analogize it to that often, where it's as if I was in a jazz band playing with others and I have a unique sound and so do they. And I listen to their sound and it makes me produce sounds I didn't know I had mm. and produce a song that we, that we, that we uh, would not have done singly and that remember there's an audience there's a there's a purpose and when that all comes together i get goosebumps i just got goosebumps talking about it you know that's that's you know to my mind what i do i look for in everything i work on that's amazing so as you've been practicing all these years can you speak to one particular practice that's been most transformative or has been responsible for your deepest transformation? There's all sorts of practices. And for me, the core goes back to the breathing practice and it goes back to an evolving form of meditation that includes open awareness where you're open to all focus meditation, where you're particularly focused on a particular, on a single item. And my favorite which is loving kindness. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the art of compassion. And I you know, go through all those different times. Um, and each one kind of has its unique influence on me. And need, I need it, different ones at different times. But I keep coming back to that loving kindness. You know, my one of my teachers, uh, Sharon Salzberg, is the specialist in that. And you know, my retreats yeah. with her, that's what I go deeply into. And that's my heart, you know, my heart is probably stronger than necessarily my wisdom side, um, though I try to have the balance between head, hand and heart. Um, that loving kindness keeps coming back to me of, of may everyone be you know, safe, may everyone be secure, may everyone be happy, you know, and wishing that. That's a form of sympathetic joy. And I find that that's one of the things that I like to work on. I like to see others where sympathetic joy is you're just truly happy when others are happy. You don't care about yourself in that. And it's hard to do. It's a hard place to be. But when you are and truly happy with others, then that removes the ego a bit from the equation, which I think is also important. And there's something about being around people who are immersed in that kind of sympathetic joy and radiate it. There's just a different kind of presence, wouldn't you say? Totally. Exactly. And you're drawn to people like that, right? You know, Absolutely. Isn't that what our life's about is finding others to experience that joy with and that for experience sure. with and work on some hard things together? That's what I live for. For sure. Well, 
It's inspiring when you can. It's a beautiful thing when you have a chance to connect with and partner with people in that kind of a space. I wonder if you could tell me a bit about when you found your purpose, what it is, how you knew it. It was that original item where I became, you know, I was in Bhutan, for example, on a trip with you know, Young President's organization, and we did a retreat in Bhutan, and I met some a couple there that had set up some orphanages in China, and right after I came home, we decided to, uh, my wife and I decided to adopt our, our fourth child. We have three that are natural, and, and one we adopted, and something flipped for me there, um, one, to suggest that, but two really be convinced that minimizing suffering and enhancing joy is what my purpose is in life. Mm. And until we finish that around the world, which will be lifetimes, um, that'll fill me and allow me then to find where I can do that and where I can most have impact. And so my purpose is looking for that place that I can have the most impact, use the skills that I have developed, whether it's, collaborative skills, venture skills, work on the social chain space, my network itself, resources I have, mm-hmm. whatever it takes. But it's also just finding people to be on the path with me. Do you have a group on the path with you? Many, <laughs> many, many groups. And that's my joy is finding new groups. And I spend a lot of time with them. So whether it's my team at New Profit, where we do social change, and have done it for a long time, or whether it's bridge builders where we have 10 people who are on similar paths, not the same paths, who have pretty successful business careers, but say there's more, something more important than that. And let's work in finding ways to support well-being in the world and ways to support that. And there's lots and lots others, democratic reform. We've got a whole partnership around there where we just enjoy being with each other. Nice. You know? And so, yeah, I have a lot of those. I'm lucky to have a lot of those. And it turns out that a lot of the people that are in each one are kind of interested in the other things as well. Not always Mm -hmm. the same, but they're kind of like, Hey, you're really interested in that thing. Can Can you look me up? Can you, can you, can you connect me into that? And so we do. And so it's, uh, not as analytic, it's uh, feel-based, but then we apply analytics when we get together and try to figure out what's the most effective thing to do. But it still is that Sangha, it still is that connective group right. that can You're living come it. together. If you continue to work on your, your own self to be ready to be a good partner with that group. And then just being with a group isn't enough. It has to have a purpose, it has to have a reason. And so, uh, you know, that study of self and study of us and study of now, which is a classic uh, organizing set of uh, characteristics, Marshall Gans developed them at Harvard mm-hmm. Kennedy School. And the study of self, the study of us, and study of now. What do you do now? And all three of those things have to come together. So you're really getting to the heart of this conversation which is about that intersection of the inner work and the outer impact. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how you see that linkage, your theory of how 
the relationship between inner work and more effective systems change or social impact actually works? Sure. I really don't think you can do system change without working on yourself, working with others, and how you interact with others to do the larger scale impact. Because you can come in and start selling the answer that mm -hmm. I have the answer. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a smart person. And so just follow me. And I've run across numbers of those, lots of in academia, for example. <laughs> um, I had one person tell me, you know, Jeff, I'm tired of listening to other people. I know I'm right. So I'm wow. just going to push <laughs> forward. It's like, okay, you're not a person <laughs> I can partner with. And so it's asking those questions together. It's, it's understanding that, you know, working on yourself I wrote an article in Stanford Social Innovation Review on self-inquiry for social change, and it's all about that, interviewing people. And each one has a different set of practices and tools. There's not one way mm -hmm. at all. If somebody tells me there's one way, I run away, mm -hmm. literally, because there's not. It's, it's We're trying to find our own particular paths, and they'll evolve over time. And so if your self-inquiry practice says, hey, you know, I'm going to do some meditation. I'm going to do some yoga. I'm going to do some re you know retreat. I'm going to, you know be quiet. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to read, I'm going to, whatever. So, uh, whatever allows you to kind of understand yourself a little bit better, understand that managed ego is a good thing mm -hmm. that, you know, there are other things more important on earth and what you get joy from. And then practicing that with others, that the others are a mirror of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so they tell you how you're doing. They tell you if you're off, my wife will tell me if I'm off all the time <laughs> and you need that, you know, you need that others to come in and kind of understand how you're reflecting. Cause if you just went out in the world and say, Hey, I'm perfect. I've, I've done all the self inquiry. I'm, I'm, I'm ace. And then everybody kind of gets together and go, well, you know, <laughs> you could probably listen a little bit better. You know, you could, you know, so you need that feedback loop, you know, and then organizations that tend to have these characteristics, in my experience, are those that people kind of lean forward, want to be part of, and do something important together. And right. there's lots of those organizations. We're lucky to know that and find them. And we've interviewed lots of them, you know, whether they're philanthropists or whether they're social change agents, you know, or whether they're what I call orchestrators, which is people that help unify mm -hmm. all these different stakeholders together. I think they're could be the highest form because they uh, you know, understand what the questions are and don't try to force the answer and they help pull people together, you know? And so finding and working with and training these orchestrators that can help unify the system change is something I, I'm spending a lot of time working on. Can, can you give us an example? One that you think is particularly embodies these qualities? Yeah, I might give you two. Um, the first one is Giving Tuesday. Asha Curran, who's the CEO there, has been doing it for 10 years. I'm on the board there. And Giving Tuesday is getting people to remember that it's time to give as well as take, that there's acts of generosity we want to enhance. Mm -hmm. And they have 75 countries that are affiliated. Wow. And they are the connective glue, the collaborative glue 
And Asha, I'd say in her team, but particularly her, is the orchestrator that says, you know, I want to enhance generosity. I want to get people unified to talk about that. And so what that organization, Giving Tuesday, is about is getting the 75 countries and small organizations that are working under them and around them to share knowledge, share best practices, measure impact, figure out training, leadership. And so it's a top around organization. It's allowing these different groups to work together in a higher way. And they love doing it and they might have different logos and they might have different influences or different focuses in different countries, that's okay. And there's a second example, Teach for All, which Wendy Kopp runs. And we backed Wendy at New Profit when she was doing Teach for America and Teach for All, which is Teach for America around the world. And it's bringing leadership to education around the world. And she has around 60 countries and she's top around organization. She doesn't tell anybody what to do. And in fact, Teach for America in the United States is learning a lot more according to her because of the association with Teach for All Nigeria, Teach for All India, Teach for All nice. Israel. And so they're sharing that knowledge. And so no one's saying, I have all the answers. It's not Teach for America going to the world. Right. That, that was, I think, part of our mistake as the United States, thinking that we had the answers. Let's bring them to the world. Well, we have a lot we to do learn that a lot. from the world. <laughs> we do that. We've done that a lot, right? I hope we were working on that. But uh, that's what I'm talking about. Those are the kind of organizations that have orchestrators like a Wendy Cop or Asha Curran who are changing the way we run social change, the way we approach system change, and we unify, and each one of those does, unify people around a cause or a problem and brings together corporations, nonprofits, multilaterals, bilaterals, government leaders, wow. right? Individuals, foundations, all around these key topics. I can give you a whole list more. And they all do that. And there's more and more of them happening. And I think we're learning more and I get a lot of energy out of them and, and love seeing them continue to grow. I mean, that's inspiring and we need more. We need more of that work for us to make significant impact. For leaders who are just beginning to explore, finding some practice for themselves uh, or ways of integrating it into the work that they're doing, do you have any practical first steps or some way to help with the rationale for them to know how to do this more explicitly in their organization and in their outer work in the world? There's there's a number of uh, beginnings, and I think it's important to try a couple different things and see what happens, what works. There's a, a guy I supported, uh, Judd Brewer, who was at Yale at the time. I supported him, and now he's at Brown, and he uh, was on Today Show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he basically said, hey, they asked him, what is this meditation thing, et cetera, and it helps with anxiety and all this. And he held up his hand and said, do the five fingers. So hold up your hand, and you put your forefinger on your other hand, or your right forefinger on your left hand, and start at your thumb, and you say, take a breath. Mm -hmm. And as you move your forefinger up your thumb, take a breath. And then let the breath go as it goes down the thumb and take another breath. You get to the top of the finger, then let it go and come down the finger and you keep up the next one. And you finish that 
and he had three out of the four announcers. Um, said, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. And you could be going, okay, well, that's the beginning. So you simple. Know? That's so simple. And it's the beginning. And whether it's, you know, reading a book. So you get Dan Harris has his 10% happier book, which is hilarious and right. fun. And so you get that and you go, oh, that's what I'm, that's what you're talking about. Or, you know, you get Sharon Salzberg's book, you know, you get, so there's lots of books. Or you can get with some friends who actually understand or have experienced meditation and say, hey, can I do that? You know, can you, can you help me kind of try that? Or you can start breathing practice, or you can go on Insight Timer, and there's lots of teachers. There's thousands of teachers. You can pick the one that makes best for you, or you can go on Headspace, you know, and Andy will tell you how to meditate. There are so many places, online, offline. Just try one or two, and if you don't like it, go do a yoga session, and yoga is a form of meditation, and it's just body movement. That's awesome. And I bet you everybody is doing something like that already. And you're saying, oh, is that what that is? Yep. Well, how does that feel when you're walking in nature? That's a meditation. Do you walk in nature? Okay. That's what we're talking about. Noticing the sounds around you, noticing the birds, noticing the leaves rustling. That's open awareness. You're open to all the different sounds and ideas and things that are around you. You've now begun. Thank you for that. Um, and you mentioned Insight Timer. I know that's one of the companies you've invested in through Bridge Builders Collaborative, and you've been involved across the space in so many ways. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about some of the favorite um, engagements, investments that you've been involved with related to bringing inner work uh, as a way of supporting greater levels of outer change. Yeah, this is my ever-evolving uh, <laughs> goal in life is to support and bring what's what's seen as strange to uh, the world and make it not strange. I started a mindful leadership class at UVA 20 years ago, and uh, it was um, seen as very strange, uh, meditating and doing that in school. What are you talking about? You know, <laughs> and thinking about managing anxiety and and learning from the thousand years of work, which is very spiritual, you know, right. um, UVA had a, has a big Buddhist department and a lot of things. And so studying that, you know, saying, Hey, we can learn a lot. So how do you apply that? And so we, let's bring the science to it. And so group called mind life had been built and, and they helped pull that strategy together and get anal and get, get uh, academics to work on it uh, as well. So flash forward 20 years plus, what was weird 20 years ago is now approved by the FDA, has now has apps that are multi-billion dollar valuations. We started wow. Headspace and it's crazily valued and Calm got created and Headsight Timer, you know, we've got Pair Technologies is getting, has already gotten approved by the FDA in multiple ways to use meditation to go after anxiety and depression. That's and issues around it. Happify does it for corporations and insurance companies. You get reimbursed for it. I've taught in Wall Street. We have three, 4,000 people that are members of Wall Street investment banks that get together frequently, multiple times a week and wow. meditate together. 
right? And it's not just Google and it's it's literally, you know, Aetna, you know, with Mark Bertolini helping run that. It's, it's, it's everywhere. So you're sitting there going, okay, what happened? And so now we're working on, uh, I've got a collaboration of 10 donors um, called Subtle and Healing Energy Collaboration. And we're studying the weird stuff of Reiki and Chi and healing energy is a $2 billion market already. Wow. Where healers are providing these services. So let's apply the science that we have come up with around mindfulness meditation. Let's use MRIs. Let's use biophotonics. Let's use photonic measurement saying, is there an energy field around the body? And if so, how do we use it in healing? How do we use it in medicine? And there's already studies of Brown on Reiki and cancer at uh, MD Anderson. We've got study, lots of these universities who started doing meditation and mindfulness research 20 years ago, and now we've got mm-hmm. this movement already created, are doing it now in subtle energy. So 20 years from now, I'm hoping that, that we'll see the same thing happen. Maybe 10 years, because we now kind of know the drill, right? We're seeing psychedelics too. And it seems to be the same people all working together saying, hey, well, that that'll, that actually, if you use MDMA, which is almost finished through phase three of the FDA, so it will be approved within the next year or two. And it basically causes those with PTSD, 60% of them to have it disappear after three sessions. Disappear. That's extraordinary efficacy. And, 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 and they used to go through five years of talk therapy and kind of maybe help. And mindfulness helps PTSD, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But together, can you imagine meditation and the treatments together because you need meditation before it and after it and kind of like let's build it in. Same thing with LSD. They're finding that 60 to 70% of those with alcoholism don't aren't alcoholic afterwards. Really? It's unbelievable. That's right? pretty remarkable. And manic depression, et cetera. And so they're working on all these. So they're going, so if we open our minds and bring in the history and the old world and look at this well-being, looking ways to, to integrate mindfulness, subtle energy, psychedelics, tools, you know, from medicine, medical world, how do you bring those to treat everyone? Now, isn't that really interesting? Mm-hmm. Doesn't that change the way we're looking at ourselves and well-being and flourishing? Mm-hmm. As we invest in our own well-being and increasingly each other's, what do you want to see then that result in as people go through their own personal transformation where can that lead us on a systemic social impact level as well? My guess is, and my dream is, is that the ripples of change will cause organizations, people, movements to be better able to put aside their own egos and priorities and work on the problems that need to be focused on together. Because if we don't do that together, it's hard, a lot harder, and we're likely not to succeed. And so truly looking at that system-wide ripple impact, throwing all the pebbles into the water and having the ripples starting to he- connect each other. And so that's the practice. That's being together with others. That's listening better. That's collaborating more often. That's asking the questions together. At New Profit, we're working on proximity and racial equity strategies, and mm-hmm. we've done that for years. 
look for people who are living the problem to partner with them because mm -hmm. they probably have a better understanding of the problem. That is not the way it was been done in the past because usually it was get the smart people from UVA or Yale or you know Harvard and everybody else and we'll back them. And it doesn't mean their ideas weren't good. They're, they're fine ideas, but they're not sufficient because they probably need to listen even more to those that are proximate near the problem. So we have something um, we did called uh, Unlock Futures, which is finding people who have actually served in prison and ask them, so how would you design the system so you don't go back <laughs> or that other people don't go back? A radical and all of a sudden, approach. And, and, the, and the answer is we're like, oh, really amazing, right? John Legend got supported. And all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden there's jobs. There's a troop of ex-prisoners who are firefighters in California that are making a lot of money, that are fulfilled, you know, that are not just going back to the old problems. Right. It's like, wow, that's pretty interesting, right? It feels like right now we could use that more than ever with COVID-19 pandemic, that if there was anything out there besides, of course, global warming to show us that we are connected here we have a global pandemic, and yet still we're seeing huge disparities in the way we're going about its treatment. And you know, how do we begin to work on that level? What is needed on that individual and systemic level to get multinational entities, governments, and organizations and philanthropists to start addressing these global challenges more equitably? We've all experienced the last year and a half and learned from it, we hope, and seen a lot of the inequities appear and they continue to be there. I work on community health in Africa in particular, and we pivoted to the United States big way. And so it's getting community health workers working. Um, we're seeing the impact of COVID uh, working with African um, CDC and others. And they're not getting the vaccines. Um, they eventually are. And, and uh, there's some great philanthropists in Africa, Sitsa Masiwa and Strive Masiwa, who are doing great work. But, you know, they're going to be a year or two behind us. And so shouldn't Africa have its own manufacturing capabilities? Shouldn't it have probably right. some PPE set up? Yeah, probably should. But then look at U.S., and we can learn how to be better at our own community and supporting community. You know, there's a movement we're trying to create, basically having everybody ask, who cares for you? And just look around. And who cares for you? Let's support them. You know, whether that's your family, whether that's your doctor, nurse, whether that's uh, your priest, your, your, it doesn't matter. Whoever is around, your friends. So let's support them. Let's figure out ways to make that more efficient and more effective. And part of that during COVID is, is let's work together and not just tell everybody it's their own problem. So right. the federal, federal government had you know, no organization and no support. So we supported a National Governance Association collaboration to actually get the governors talking to each other. So we, we and a bunch of others, um, school and others, supported a group that did that. And then that helped. But really, the federal government should have been doing it. And now they, they are doing it in a better way. Get people to talk to each other, being the orchestrator, being the connector to each other. The same thing around the world, you know, how are we learning from this? And so what do we learn from this? We should have learned from school pandemic fund long ago where they were warning 10 years ago that we should have a surveillance system identifying when pandemics show up. 
Mm. And we still need that. We still need the data around it. We still need people sharing that knowledge. And so philanthropists can spend more time and social change agents can spend more time thinking about how do we set up those systems so that we're ready next time right. and that we're sharing that knowledge. And so uh, we continue to learn. You know, League of Nations was set up. The United States didn't join. The United Nations set up. Finally, the United States joined. So we get dragged into collaborating for around the world periodically, and, <laughs> and it seems to work. You know, we need to do more of that. Right. And we'll slowly learn and we'll figure it out. And, you know, Global Fund will help us. But we really need to own it ourselves. And that's, to me, the self-inquiry part. You know, who cares for you? Who do you care for? How do you build that? How do you support that? How do we reinforce that, you know, around the state level, the city level? You know, there's a great collaboration that's come together around homelessness mm. called Community, Community Solutions. And there's another great orchestrator there. And Roseanne Haggerty and Roseanne... 20 years ago said, hey, we're going to go after homelessness. So guess what you do when you still go after homelessness? Everybody starts to say, okay, we're going to build housing. Mm -hmm. That's, she found 10 years later, she said, we discovered that was totally wrong. <laughs> it's social determinants. And so we can provide somewhere somebody to be, but if they're veterans and they have PTSD, they're right. not going to be there. They're going to probably leave because they need treatment. So let's get on treatment. And, you know, if there's a family... And they have kids, maybe they need daycare and maybe they need job training, you know? And so let's, so they actually collect data and they set up each city collaborations of business, government, nonprofits, local change agents, community foundations to say, we're going to lower homelessness down to zero. We're going to collect the names and the data on each individual who is homeless. And we're going to figure out unique solutions for each one of them. They are in 80 cities across the United States. Wow. 14 of those cities are now down to zero homelessness. Really? That's incredible. And they just got three weeks ago, $100 million from MacArthur Foundation. As in the, they had thousands of people and organizations apply and they said, this is the most effective, effective we've seen. That's collaboration. That's local collaboration. That's an orchestrator, collaborating organization, helping unify it. But it's not forcing each local area to do the same thing. It sounds like it starts with deep listening too. That's absolutely where it starts. What's the issue? What's the problem? Who's got the problems? You know, and that's, you know, my next, next article is really about that. It's, it's locally driven, but globally supported organizations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you can have them locally driven, but globally supported. So the glue connects them together. You know, locally driven by itself isn't isn't perfect at all, because then you have all these different things going on and nobody kind of learning from each other and it's kind of haphazard, right? Something has to happen. But this top-down stuff certainly isn't the answer. Yeah. <laughs> that. There's so many different initiatives that you've been involved in. Is there anything you haven't told us about or spoken of today that, that you want to have a chance to share more about that you're really excited about or you're listening deeply to and exploring now? There's, there's just some really fun things. Um, I'll, t I'll, I'll tell you two things. Uh, one of them is, is over the last four years, 300 people have come together and it started with three and it grew to something called Leadership Now Network. And another orchestrator, Daniela Blue Ayers, is, uh, she's amazing. And she started it out of the State Department. And before that, she was at Dahlberg. And is focusing on democratic reform 
-hmm. Let's get people to be able to vote. You know, let's people to support uh, open uh, transparency of the political process. Let's support bipartisan uh, movements to uh, get people across the aisles to work together. There's mm -hmm. a whole list. And we have amazing people that are part of it. Um, average donations have gone up six to eight times for people that have been involved three wow. years or more. Because you're learning from the team. They're explaining the political world like nobody understood this. You know, what's a 5-1-C-3, a 4, an independent, a hard. You know, in each country can do this on their own because they have a unique system. But most people don't understand it. You back some politician and, you know, you give them some money periodically and then they, they call you and hassle you and then they <laughs> go away. That's just, just not very fulfilling. But this is very fulfilling. So they've had 90% 90, 90 of the members that have joined. It's not a fund. It's just a membership group. 90% of the members are still members five years later because mm. they're find something that's unique and valuable there. It's Sangha. It's, you know, working on this little bit, learning from each other and, and working in partnership with each other on something that's more important than yourself. Right? right. And so that one, you know, I love it. And something I'm working on now in partnership um, is my next book, which is, you know, it's going to be called, you can't fix the world alone mm. and you just can't fix the world alone it's impossible and so the book is co going to be co-authored with english Saul, one of my partners in global health and she's amazing and tulane montgomery who's the co-ceo of new profit and she's deeply involved in proximate capital and racial equity kind of issues and it's so fun to co-create with them you know the stories and what the book's going to do is tell stories of people that have done this not cases but just tell their stories because I find that's the best way, you know, the new profit board, it was like, I can talk about system change all day, but I start saying here, here's how Wendy Kopp is doing it. You know, here's how John Rice is doing. It. Here's how the stories of, you know, what happened at Community Solutions with homelessness. And they all kind of go, oh, and then you get them to start it. Just be involved in one of them. Right. They don't go back. Nobody goes back because mm -hmm. it's too fun. It's interesting. You learn a lot and it's more effective. I mean, what we did in malaria with Ray Chambers. You know, Ray led that, and we were big supporters of it. But you know, wow, reducing deaths from malaria by a million a year over a ten-year period. So there was a million fewer people dying from malaria, based right. on the collaboration. It's not what Ray did by himself. It's right. somehow a perspective of unifying all the different groups and organizations, from the USAID to DFID to Global Fund to Peace Corps to you know for-profit companies, you know, manufacturing bed nets, et cetera. Unifying all that changed the world. So we can continue to do that. Like meditation. It sounds so simple. <laughs> if we could just work together. Jeff, thank you so much. These stories are incredibly inspiring and really call all of us to step into a higher reality of how we are interconnected, how we can collaborate, how we can be orchestrators for a better world. How can people learn more about what you're doing right now? There's lots of articles in the Stanford Social Innovation Review you can go to and, and look at. You can pick up the uh, old book, The Generosity Network, about lowering walls between donors and doers. You can actually figure out how to be better partners with each other, and it's still a class we teach. And, uh, you know, look for ways to partner with others. You know, just try that. And pick up any of the books I've talked about or go to any of the sites I've talked about. You know, start the practice start the process you know you'll 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 love it 
Jeff, thank you so much. It's been such a joy to have a chance to talk with you today. Thank you, Gretchen. Great to be with you. Cultivate the Soul is presented by Synergos, copyright 2021. To learn more, visit Synergos.org and find more episodes at Synergos.org slash podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.